Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Acts 22, and we'll look again at our keynote verse or passage for this series that I started a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 22. This, of course, is Jesus and what he said to the apostle Paul, who at that time was Saul of Tarsus. And he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. We pointed out that although this was specifically given to the Apostle Paul, and we know that he had a a calling upon his life, and there was the will of God for his life might not be exactly what it is for our lives, but the principle stays true that God has chosen each one of us to know his will. It is God's plan that we know his will for our lives. Glory to God. And that we hear the voice of his mouth. And so we started talking about the importance of this and we pointed out that it is, of course, like I've said, God's will for you to know his will for your life and how important it is. Pastor Greg mentioned some of the things that we had talked about that we know belong to us that we don't need to pray about. Like Pastor Greg said, some people pray about things that are already in the word because they don't like what's in the word and they're hoping for a second opinion, hoping that God will give them a different answer. Well, he's never gonna answer contrary to what he's already said. And then again, some people pray about things that they ought not pray about because they're just ignorant of what God's word promises. They're saying, Lord, if it's your will, heal me. Well, he's already, he's already uh, uh, clearly uh, shown his will to heal all. So God is, the, the people pray that and sometimes they don't realize they're praying in unbelief. Even though they think they're praying in faith, they're asking God to show them something he's already shown them. And, he's, and his answer is always go to the word, go to the word, go to the word, go to the word. Amen. Isn't that the way Jesus always answered? It is written. What does the Bible say? You know the scriptures, he would say. The scriptures testify of me, he said. So God will always point you to the word of God. We've talked about last week that most people are looking for direction in life in all the wrong places. People are looking to this natural realm. They're looking for circumstances. And it is, it is pervasive in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. People who aren't really saved, but they know a little bit about Christianity. They identify as a Christian, like an old friend of mine. He was my neighbor. He grew up next door to me. He and his family were were Catholic by, by denomination, but they never went to church. They were unsaved as far as any outward appearance uh, you could determine. So they, he didn't raise up, raise up in a, in a, in a Christian home. He moved to Gainesville when I was about, he and I were the same age and we were about 14. He, his family moved to Gainesville, actually to Williston. And uh, uh, his mom, I talked to him just a couple of times since I've lived here in this area. And uh, he's become a very wealthy businessman. He owns, uh, you know, if you see the big dumpsters out, you know, construction dumpsters that say Florence, that's my neighbor. He grew up with me. He owns all of those. He has a big landfill. He's, he's very wealthy. 
And, uh, and so we've talked a couple of times. We ran into each other a couple, you know, in, in town a couple of times. His mom passed away uh, a few years ago, and I was, on vac- I was on a missions trip, I think. I was overseas. And so he called and t- talked to Angela. He had met Angela, he and his wife, and Angela and I had um, hung out a little bit, you know, in the early days after we were first married. Anyway, he talked to Angela, and, and uh, he wanted me to... to uh, perform his wife, his mother's rather, his mother's funeral, do his funeral, her funeral. And I was out of town. And so when I got back, I called him and now here's an unsaved man and doesn't know anything about God. And he was talking about, he said, I'm a Christian. He said, hell yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm sure not a a Muslim. (laughs) So there are a lot of people who identify as Christian, but they don't really know what it means. But I guarantee you, most of those people are still looking for direction and they look in all the wrong places. They're looking to the natural realm. They're looking for something in the realm of circumstances. I saw a Facebook post. You see them all the time. I saw one this week and it said something about the fact, you know, that uh, it was one of the stories. I don't know. I think it might've been the Red Sea. Said, you know, remember God didn't deliver the children from the Red Sea. He delivered them through the Red Sea. So God doesn't always take us out of our problems, but he'll see us through them. Well, there is some truth to that. But what most people mean by that is it doesn't matter what you're going through. God has a plan. And even though it stinks right now, even though you're beat down and troubled and destroyed right now, in the end, God is working something out. But see, I know that when the children of Israel were delivered through the Red Sea, they went through on dry ground. Glory to God. The water, I mean, if the water is standing up on either side and you're walking through on dry ground, are you really in the Red Sea? Not really, you're on dry ground, glory to God. I noticed that when the, when the Hebrew children were thrown into the fiery, fiery, fiery furnace, it said that not even the smell of smoke was upon them. Their hair was not burned. Their clothes were not burned. I'm telling you what, you can put up with some fire when it doesn't touch you. Amen. <laughs> glory to God. One of the early... Uh, Patriots, they call them church fathers. One of the uh, uh, church leaders of this, I think it was the second century. I believe it was then, but his name was Polycarp. And he was so committed. This was during the, the persecutions, the real severe persecution of the church. He was so committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they threatened him with his life, he said, I will gladly lay down my life. He said, my savior took the most utmost uh, 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 pain and suffering on my behalf and he has delivered me all of these years and been so faithful. How can I not but offer up my life? He wouldn't accept pardon. And they tried to get him to renounce his Christian faith. Just say that Caesar is Lord and everything will be forgiven. And they said, if you don't, we're going to burn you. We're going to set fire to you and burn you to death. You know what his answer was? His answer was, your fire is only going to last a few moments, but the fire of God's wrath will burn until you are completely consumed. So they tied him down, put fire on it. They could not get the fire to kindle on him. They did everything they could. They doused him, they tied him, they put fire, and he he just wouldn't burn. He just sat there. 
And, and when they finally figured out that the fire wasn't going to work, then they sent, sent the executioner out and they killed him. But I'm telling you, when God puts you in, in the middle of, of your victory, nothing can touch you. Glory to God. Amen. <laughs> yeah, God delivers you through it, all right. But you come through without smelling like the smoke. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So people are looking for some kind of sign. Lord, show me something. And so we talked about open doors and closed doors. And, and uh, Stephen, Steve has already referenced to that this morning. Notice that Paul prayed that a door of utterance would be open to him. And what he meant by that was simply a, a door of opportunity would be open. That's just praying that God will make a, a way for us to do more for him. He wasn't seeking direction. He, he already had his direction. He got his direction on the road to Damascus. He, the Lord said, I will show you what great things you're going to suffer for me. You're going you're to speak my name to kings and to leaders and to the Gentiles. He knew what his mission was. Amen. Now, let's, let's look at a passage to illustrate this a little bit further. Go with me over to, uh, let me find it. Acts, let me back up here. Go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, Paul and Silas, Silas has joined Paul at this time on Paul's second missionary journey. And when they had gone through Derby and, and Lystra, they took Timothy on as a young man, a convert. And uh, verse six says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, now notice they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That'd be Asia Minor. They were not forbidden by circumstances. They were forbidden by the Spirit to preach the word in, in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit, everybody say the Spirit, Spirit. did not permit them. It didn't say the road was closed. It didn't say the bridge was out. Therefore, I guess it's not God's will that we go because the bridge is out. No, the Spirit did not permit them to go. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Now notice, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now that would look like maybe that was a circumstance. In other words, they didn't know and then something, but it wasn't a natural circumstance. It wasn't the something that happened in the natural realm. A vision from the Lord came. So the Lord can lead you, but that's supernatural leading. He can lead you 
by visions or he can lead you also supernaturally just by in your heart. But it's not natural circumstances. They were not depending on natural circumstances to lead them. Amen? So we talked about that. We talked about fleeces. We won't go into all of that. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <laughs> oh, glory. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. We read this last Sunday night. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The expression, for as many as. For as many as simply means all those. That's what that means. That's what that expression is. For as many as are here today are saved. That means all who are here today are saved. That's what that would mean. So read it that way. You can read it that way. All those who are led by the Spirit of God, these, that would be all these, who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. All these who are led by the Spirit of God, all these and only these. He didn't say these and others. He said all these who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Therefore, that tells us that this is a unique way that God has for leading his own children. It doesn't apply to anybody else because all those who are led by the Spirit are who? The sons of God. So if anybody's being led by the Spirit, they are who? Would they be anybody else other than the sons of God? Not as many as. That's all those who are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. God leads us by his Spirit. And it's, and it's a provision that he does not offer anybody else. Now, the only exception to that is the Lord will lead people to Jesus but as far as being led in life, in decisions, in giving direction, God's not given directions by his spirit to people who are in the world. And there's a big reason for that. They don't have the spirit. Go with me to John, the 14th chapter. John chapter 14. We looked at this, but we'll look at it again. Bears repeating. John 14, as I mentioned to you on Sunday, maybe Sunday morning or Sunday night of last week, Jesus really didn't have, he had virtually nothing to say about the church during his earthly ministry. Except over in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. They had no idea what he was talking about. They had no concept of what we know as the church. The word church, they understood what it meant, but to them, it meant the assembly of Israel, the congregation of Israel. Only he said, I'm gonna build my church. Peter and John probably looked at it and nudged each other. Did you hear that? His church. What, what, what's he talking about? They didn't know what he was talking about. Other than that, he didn't mention any, all of his other uh, directions were directions to Jews living under the old covenant. 
Now, he foretold some things that would happen in the future, but it's, it's primarily, again, addressing the Jews and what will happen during the tribulation. It's really not about the church. The exception for that is the night that Jesus was betrayed. You remember they, 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 they found a room, they, they uh, 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 participated in the Passover meal to, together, we call it the Last Supper, and then Judas went out, he was excused and he went out, you know, because the devil had gotten into him. Jesus gave him permission to go on and do what he was gonna do. And after Judas left, Jesus began to talk to his disciples about the church age, about what would happen to them because he said, I'm gonna be taken from you for a short while, but I'm coming back again. And then he began to tell them about what we're dealing with today in the church age. This is where he began to tell them about the Holy Spirit. So the first time he mentioned the Holy Spirit's ministry for us in this age is in in verse number, well, we'll start in verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now notice whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And it's always good to read that next verse. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Thank God he didn't leave us orphans. He didn't leave us bereaved. He didn't leave us forlorn and on our own. Praise God. He came to us in the person of the, of the Holy Spirit, the helper that's just like him to be our helper, to be our guide. And he said, he will be in you. And he said, the world cannot receive him. If God was going to to direct us or guide us through natural circumstances, why would we need the Holy Spirit? We wouldn't need him. No, God has provided a unique way that's only available to his own children and, and... We have a unique capacity. We have a unique capacity that the world doesn't have of understanding and discerning what God's trying to say to us. We have a unique capacity for that in that we are indwelt by the spirit. It really, the ministry of the Holy Spirit In the life of the believer, it's bigger than just leading and directing us. It's empowering us. There's a lot of things involved in the ministry of the Spirit. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not an incidental provision of our lives. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, after a person is born again and becomes a child of God, washed in the blood of Jesus, a new creature in Christ, which of course is also is also uh, uh, performed by the ministry of the spirit. But once a person is born again, there is no greater reality in this life and no greater importance than the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is the capstone of our lives as Christians. Like I said, it's not incidental. And too many Christians give, doctrinally, they give approval 
and acknowledgement of the ministry of the Spirit, but in our daily lives, do we really look to him? Or do we look to everything else? Are we like other people around us? We ought not be like other people around us. When they don't have answers and we don't have the answer, we ought not to look for them for more answers that they don't have. We should look to the inside in light with the word of God informing us, but then looking to to the direction we have because he is there to direct us, lead us, guide us, and reveal his will to us every step of the way. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. It is beneath us. It is beneath us to look to this world. It's beneath us to look to the natural realm. Go on over with me. We're in the 14th chapter. Go over to the 16th chapter of John. The 16th chapter, he still has a lot to say in chapter 14, 15, and 16 about the ministry of the Spirit. But verse number, let's see, which one do I want to read? Yeah. That's not it. Let's start in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Well, they weren't born again. At that point in time, we are. And the things that he could not say to them, he can say to us today. Praise the Lord. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, notice, and I've pointed this out recently, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit. He is a person. He's not, it's wrong to look at him and it will hinder you in your walk with him to, to relate to him as a feeling or some kind of just uh, nebulous sort of influence in your life, just sort of something. He's a divine person. He's just as much a person as God the Father is. He's just as distinct in his personality as the Lord Jesus Christ is. It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. Notice guidance uh, indicates progression. Guidance indicates progression. If you you, uh, are taking a trip, through an area that you don't know, you might hire a guide. Well, the guy's not gonna sit down and just in, in one flash moment show you everything about where you're going. He's going to guide you through it. He said he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak. The whole, Thank God the Holy Spirit speaks. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Notice that he will guide, speak, tell, and declare. Those are, those are words that should cause us to recognize that the Holy Spirit is a communicator. Yes. 
He's not, he's not uh, mysterious. He's not trying to baffle us. He's not trying to keep us off balance, keep us in suspense. He's not a mystery writer. He is one who takes the things of the Lord and declares them to us, tells them, speaks to us. Oh, hallelujah. That means ongoing speaking, telling, and declaring because it's progressive. Amen. There are three important ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But again, before we go over those, we have to completely establish the fact. You know, uh, the Lord said to the Apostle Paul that you will hear the voice of my mouth. Well, how do we hear God? Do we, do we hear him? Yes, we do. Well, how does he speak? What does he sound like? Has he got a deep voice, a medium voice? What, what does he sound like? I always say it like this. When you want to determine uh, how God speaks or where, the big question is, where does he speak? He doesn't speak on the billboards. He doesn't speak by, you know, by writing messages in the sky like, a, like an airplane writer. You ever had, you ever seen a ventriloquist? He's got, you know, ventriloquist has got a dummy sitting on his lap and he's projecting his voice to that dummy. Well, God's not using dummies to direct you. He's not, he's not projecting his instruction out. You better watch it over there. She's only been home a few hours. He's not a ventriloquist. He's not projecting his voice in the air. He's not projecting his voice in a tornado. Where, where is he? If he's going to speak, well, where is he? Is he out there? He isn't out there. Now, understand that in terms of his omniscience and his, you know, we know that he is everywhere. So we know that he is everywhere. But as it pertains to us and our lives, and he's not out there, he's in here. For he will be in you. Paul talking to the Corinthians about the spirit, he said, who is in you? Well, if he's in here, why would we expect him to be speaking out there? Why would we be expecting him to speak through some natural uh, happening when he's walking in us Declaring, speaking, telling, guiding. Look to the inside. Go with me over to, uh, go to 1 Kings and look at the 19th chapter. 1 Kings chapter 19. This is the story of Elijah. And uh, he had prophesied against Ahab and Jezebel and Jezebel wasn't happy about it. So she sent messengers saying that, I, you know, look, look for him, hunt him down, I'm gonna kill him. And so he arose in verse three and ran for his life. <laughs> now there's a man of God. 
He arose and ran for his life. Sounds like a just an ordinary person. James said he's a man of like passions as ours. He ran for his life and told where he went and different things. And uh, an angel of the Lord came and touched him in verse seven, said, rise, eat. He provided food for him. And so he arose and ate and drank. So he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I, love, I started to say I love it when the Lord asked me questions like that. I love it afterwards because it's funny afterwards. But at the time, I know that when he's asking me a question, I'm usually in trouble. Because he's not asking me a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's not looking for an answer from me. He's trying to point out how boneheaded I've been. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I have been very zealous, zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. He's whining now notice what happened in verse, the next few verses. God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Now I want you to, to, to get the picture of this. Elijah is in the cave. He's in the cave. And the word of the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. That was some kind of wind. A powerful, tornadic, torn, uh, if that's, I don't know if tornadic is an adverb or adjective or not, but a tornado type wind tore into this mountain and, and busted up the rocks. Most people would have said, oh, that's the Lord moving. The Lord passed by. Ooh, the Lord has passed by and look at that wind. Elijah stayed in that cave. He didn't respond. Yes, the Lord went by, says the Lord passed by. And then it says, behold, a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But notice, but the Lord was not in the wind. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord passed by, but he didn't cause the wind. Are you listening to me? After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Now, I don't know if that's, if that's in reference to like just like a forest fire broke out or if it was referring to a lightning storm or something, but let's just say it was a fire. Something pretty powerful, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. I like the margin of my, my, of my Bible. It says a delicate whispering voice. Now the Lord had passed by and concurrent with his passing by, there was a, a, a this dangerous, uh, uh, destructive wind. There was an earthquake. There was a, a forest fire of sorts. God wasn't in any of that even though he was there. 
What he was in was that still small voice. Elijah didn't come out of the cave at the wind, at the beckoning of the wind. He didn't come out of the cave at the beckoning of the earthquake. He didn't think, ooh, the ground is shaking. It must be the Lord. Ooh, look at this fire. I know my God is a consuming fire. Surely this is the Lord. He wasn't moved by circumstances. Those were all in the natural realm, but God is a spirit. Elijah was waiting for something in the spirit. He was accustomed to hearing God in the spirit. So he stayed in the cave. So there was a, a, a great and strong wind. The Lord wasn't in the wind. There was an earthquake. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire. The Lord wasn't in the fire. Then there was a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard that still small voice that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. See, he knew the secret that God doesn't lead by natural circumstances. You can't look to what's going on in this world, no matter how dramatic or supernatural they seem. There's no doubt that the earthquake was supernatural. There's no doubt that the earthquake was supernatural. There's no doubt that the, that the, that the fire was supernatural, but God wasn't in it. If Elijah, I said this last week, and I'd, I'd never said it before. I just, it just sort of come out of my mouth all of a sudden. A lot of people have been led by circumstances and it looked like it turned out to be God. People might have said, well, I put a fleece out or I did this or, you know, I was led by, you know, things that just happened and I just concluded that was God and acted on it and it turns out it was God. If Elijah had, had come out when the wind broke out, the Lord would have been there. So he would have had an encounter with God. I said last week, a lot of people have acted on things in the natural thinking that it was God and then it turned out that they got it right. I said this, you just lucked out. A lot of people just lucked out. Elijah would have lucked out because he would have went, he would have, the Lord said, come out and stand before me. If he had gone out because of the earthquake, he would have had an encounter with God. He would have found out what the Lord wanted to do in his life, but he would have been led by the wrong thing. It would have been coincidental. If he had concluded that God was in the fire or in the earthquake or in the wind, those were just coincidences that, that had he acted on, he would have still got him in the right place, but that's not how God leads. Most of the time you'll be led astray by following circumstances. Because if God, if God wasn't in it, it's, it's hard to look at this and, and, and conclude that the earthquake and the fire and the wind wasn't supernatural. Well, if God wasn't in it, who was? The devil can do some supernatural things. He can manipulate things in the natural realm. He can cause things to, to align or, or to uh, uh, not align or to fall apart or things to develop. He can, uh, he can influence a lot of things in the natural realm. And there have been times when I have acted on a natural inclination and, and found God at the other side of it, but God wasn't leading me through that. And I found that more times than not, way more times than not, when I act on natural leading, I'll end up in a closet somewhere. I end up where I think I'm going into a great room and, oh, this is just wonderful what God's led me and I realize I'm in a closet. 
a good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine a few years ago, he was having some problems with his eyes and he had some surgery and just different things. And he's fine now, but he, he was virtually blind. And uh, he's the kind of guy, he likes to go to the movies by himself. His wife doesn't like movies. So he'll just, during the day, he'll go to the movies. So he went to a theater and went to a movie, went and got his ticket. He's walking down the hallway, you know, they've got the different theaters and he, he turns, you know, to go into the theater, goes in, closes the door behind him. It was just pitch black. And he, he was virtually blind anyway. He's, he's standing there and he can't see anything. And a few minutes after that, he's just standing there like, where do, where do I turn? Somebody come in behind him and opened the door and said, uh, sir, sir, you're in the closet. He had walked into a broom closet and he was standing there in the dark. A lot of people, that's what happens when you follow leadings in this life. You'll end up in the broom closet most of the time. So he acted like, you know, he was real. He said, oh, I know, I know. I said, Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. I've already said this. God is not... A ventriloquist, he's not projecting his voice into circumstances and he's not speaking to you through dummies. <laughs> he's not in your head. He's not in your head. The Holy Spirit's not in your head. He's not in your body. Now, we know our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit because our spirits are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells our spirit. So in that sense, he's in our body, but he's not in our feelings, is what I'm saying. He's not in your headache. He's not in your emotions. He's not in your good feelings or your bad feelings or your excitement or your unexcited. He's not in that. He's not in the fleshly realm. Amen. He's in your spirit and that's where he will guide us. Well, praise the Lord. We will, before I get into the next section, we'll just close out here for the day. Glory to God. God is so good to us. He has provided a way that is unique to believers, but because we are accustomed to doing things the way we used to do things, because of the, because of before we were saved, we just kind of bounced around through life and, you know, we, we reacted to everything that happened. Well, most Christians, when they get saved, they continue doing that. And, and most of the theology in the church has been, well, the Lord moves through all of these mysterious ways. No, he doesn't move through mysterious ways. He moves through his word and his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not mysterious. He's a person. He's, he's intelligent. He is predictable. He is not extreme. God's not sending people to do extreme things either. Most of the time, he's not. I'll put it that way. We've, over the years, we've seen people that have, have decided, well, the Lord sent me to do such and such. And it's an, you know, a way out kind of thing, way outside the realm of, of normal and they always want to quote Abraham. Well, you know, the Lord sent Abraham, you know, into Mesopotamia and he didn't know where he was going or why he was going. Just the Lord said to do it. So the Lord sent me to, he's told me to pack my bags and, and move to, to uh, Timbuktu somewhere. You know, and I don't know where I'm, why I'm going there. I'm just led of the Lord. Most of the time those people are lying because when you really drill down a little bit, there's a young lady in Timbuktu, 
or there's an opportunity there that know about, there's a family connection. There's, when you drill down, it wasn't the Lord at all. There was some other natural thing. They tried to put it off on the Lord. Well, I don't know because if they told you really, well, I'm going because I'm attracted to this young man or this young woman or, you know, uh, I have a better opportunity there and I, don't, and, and I don't like the people I'm hanging out with and I've got some better friends over there. If they told you that, you'd say, well, that's all carnal. So instead they'll say, well, the Lord sent me. Well, you know, the Lord is very, the Holy Spirit's very logical and he's very normal. He's a person and he's smart and he knows everything and he's, he doesn't have to try to, to spook you or, 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 or make you weird or make you think he's weird. He just, he's just real normal. He'll just direct you in normal ways. And so when people, when you find fellow Christians that have gotten this weird kind of strange leading to do something strange, it doesn't make any sense. It's usually not God. I'm going to leave a little bit of room that there might be some occasions like that, but it's usually not God. Amen. The Holy Spirit's in here and he's a person. Amen. Well, praise God. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and your blessing in our lives. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that you have provided this wonderful, unique way for believers only to be led by your spirit. Hallelujah. And you lead us internally, inside of our spirit, man. Glory to God. We thank you, Father, that the anointing that teaches us and guides us and directs us is true. His directions are never a lie. They're never wrong. They're always consistent. And I thank you, Father, that, that, and this is what I want the church to understand, Lord, that we can grow in our understanding of his leading, that we can become more aware and more used to the way you direct us until we get to a place some of us are getting there Father get to a place where being led of the Lord is just the most simple ordinary thing not ordinary in the sense that it's not wonderful but in the sense that we've we've grown to expect it and we've become proficient in knowing your will and hearing your voice and that's what you're wanting to move us into, to proficiency so that we become good at it, so that we be, it becomes habitual in our lives. Glory to God that we can judge these things and know the leading of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you for that, Father. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Suso, shiman, semestris, kres, kres, didista, brekres, tes, kere, iskora, ojo, kretesti. Shkreto eresisto pret desto estirito ste. Jetroko pakre discretres discostios tora de tapadastes. Do not be troubled and do not be concerned when you do not know the answer as far as your mind is concerned. Do not look to the natural or let it trouble you in any way. For know that my spirit lives, lives within you and he will show you the right way. So rest in him 
and enjoy the flow and look to the spirit and the glory of God will rest upon you and the blessings will flow and you will become proficient and know how to discern the will of the Lord in everything in life. In the smallest details to the greatest, you'll know the way that you should go. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, God, God leads us in small details in life. Now, he didn't lead me on the selection of socks this morning. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about important things in this life where you need direction, even if they're small, the Lord will lead you. He'll show you. Oh, glory to God. One reason we're not better at discerning his will in the big ticket items is because we never pay attention to him or seeking him on the little thing. We're just living life our own way. Don't don't worry, Lord, I got this. I got this. I Thank you, but I can do this. We don't actually say that, but a lot of times we live our lives that way. Now look to him for what he has to say. Amen. James told the church, he said, don't say, well, tomorrow I'm going to go here and do this and move there and travel to this other place and sell and, you know, and make a profit and all that. He said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I will do this or that. Those are natural things. Amen. And he'll send a a wind your way. No, I'm just kidding. He won't. He'll just lead you right in here. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.